Good morning, everybody. Just before uh, Ivan's going to read the scripture, just three quick things that I want you to know. First of all, there are three books that I want you to know about. We put them up on the screen up here. Divorce and Remarriage in the Church by David Instone Brewer. I know a number of us are interested in the issue of divorce. If you want to get into all the intricacies of biblical history about divorce and uh, maybe solve some issues that you have um, been grappling with on the era of divorce, I highly recommend uh, that book. It's Divorce and Remarriage by David Instone Brewer. It is very, very good. The second book that is up there is Why Mars and Venus Collide, which I'll read out of here in just a few moments. It's a secular book. It's absolutely fantastic. I would highly encourage, somebody just told me this past week, I recommended the book to them a year and a half ago, and uh, they said it just made all the difference in the world in their marriage. The final book is by a pastor from New York City. It's by Timothy Keller on the meaning of marriage. I've also used this book for a while and used it for this message today. It is a fabulous book. I recommend those three books to you this morning. We're going to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time, and so I wanted to give you some resources to look at. Uh, after this is over, you can do some research on the things that we'll talk about today. Second thing I want to say to you is this. We're having a question and answer right after this service is over, right over here in the risers up here. Kate is waving her hands. That's where I'll be. We'll all gather together right over there. There is a number on the screen here that you can send during this service. You can send text questions to, and we'll filter through them, and we'll just do a Q&A on all the topics that we have discussed so far in this series. You're free to write a question about, and we'll talk up there for maybe 15 or so minutes, depending on how long this sermon goes. So anytime throughout this, you can text that. Finally, we are having a gathering this Wednesday night. The men's ministry here at Grace is putting on a gathering at the church office. Our city is facing a crisis, and that crisis is affecting the safety uh, of people in this city. It's affecting marriages, and it's affecting jobs, and it's quite significant, and we want to gather together to talk about that. Also, there are children that live in this city that are being targeted. We want to talk about that from a safety factor, from an awareness factor of what's going on in our city. It's happening globally, but our city, Washington, D.C., is being affected by this, and so we want to gather guys together because we want to talk about it kind of from a guy's perspective about uh, what is going on. We want to share with you some information. We encourage you, if you'd like, to bring your friends out to this event and maybe some things. We're going to share some things that we can do um, after knowing this information, what can we do about it? So we highly encourage you to come out to this event. I think it's on the screen here behind me uh, this Wednesday night. Okay, now we're ready for Ivan in the Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Take it away. Good morning, Good morning. Now for matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring... Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Thank you, Ivan. 
Uh, very quickly, I've said this almost every week, none of these messages stand alone. They all need each other. This message will not stand alone all by itself on how to divorce-proof your marriage. They take all of the messages together are needed. Also, uh, you saw the warning signs on the way in. They're still in effect. Uh, this is ser still serious content, so we want you to be aware of that if that concerns you. One other thing I want to say is that we're going to really lift up marriage here in the next few moments. We're, there, there's, a, there's a good amount of pessimism and negativity around marriage, and so one of the, one of the things I want to do in the beginning is lift up marriage and the value of marriage and what we see in the Bible and this kind of stuff. So before I lift marriage all the way up for everyone who is single, uh, I don't want you to have the reaction, oh gosh, I'm single, that means I'm a second-class citizen or whatever. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that singleness is also a good condition. So if you're single here today, we are going to unashamedly lift up marriage, but we want you to know that in no way, shape, or form are you a second-class citizen, biblically speaking, or anywhere else, okay? So uh, as I just said, the Bible says it's also a good condition. So I just want to get that disclaimer out there, all right? Now here we go with marriage. It is significant to note that the Bible in Genesis begins with a wedding and in the book of Revelation, at the very end of the Bible, it ends with a wedding. The Bible begins and ends with a wedding. That's quite significant. Our covenant relationship with God is described as a marriage, something not to be taken lightly. Marriage is alive and well. I want to read you a quote here out of Keller's book. This is what he says. He's talking about the fact that there's a lot of pessimism about marriage, and about the divorce rate and how it is so high. But if you filter out a number of people who are getting divorces, actually divorce rate is significantly low. So this is what he says. So if you are a reasonably well-educated person with a decent income, come from an intact family and are religious, and you marry after 20 five years of age without having a baby first, your chances of divorce are very low. So we know that the divorce rate hovers, you know, 45, 50%. But if you fact, if you take out, if you filter out a, a, a number of very important factors, actually, for the people that I just read, it is quite low. So it's not as dark as what we might think it is, is what he is saying there. Married people, statistically speaking, married people tend to be happier and healthier and more successful in life. They're more satisfied with life. They're more satisfied sexually, married people. Marriage has been and still is the stabilizing force in society. God highly values marriage because marriage is a blessing in our world. God says in Malachi 2.16 that he hates divorce. Now, what we talked about last week is that there are valid biblical reasons for divorce, and there's invalid biblical reasons for divorce. And we need to deal with what the Bible says and be realistic and use some common sense around these valid and invalid reasons 
for divorce. I have made a change of plans for the sermon this week. The whole idea um, all series long is that I would get up here today and we would just continue on what I started last week on the valid and the invalid reasons for divorce. And we would break down some texts. We'd talk about what Jesus said. Yo, if you, if you divorce and you remarry, you're committing adultery. And we'd get all into that. We're going to save that for the, if you're interested, we're going to save that for the Q&A time. And I'm going to tell you why I've made a major change in, in what I'm doing. Early in this week, very early in this week, I, I was talking to two different couples whose marriages are on the brink of snapping. And I was already thinking about this idea of, well, maybe we shouldn't get all into the technicals things for the whole sermon long on divorce. I thought maybe we'll do some things on how to divorce-proof your marriage. But when I met with these two couples on the brink, it just... it. I just felt like God said, nope, I want you to completely go in this direction of how to divorce-proof your marriage. I'm going to speak very pointedly today. This is very serious to me, what I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to push you, uh, if I haven't pushed you enough, I'm going to push you uh, as a husband or a wife today on a couple things that we see in the Bible that I think are very, very important. I will never, ever forget the night that I was in the basement of a home of a married couple who was in the church where I was on staff with. And uh, he, had, he had been having an affair, and she had been suspecting it. And, but she wanted to know, and he was very obviously, for obvious reasons, very reluctant to say it. And um, I realized what was going on, and so I was there. It was the three of us, and I encouraged him, you know, come on. You just need to get it out there. You need to say it. She knows something's up. And I will never forget when he finally said it to her. I will never, ever forget how she cried. I will never, ever forget. Her sobs were so powerful, everybody. It was as if the foundation of the entire house was shaking. I'll never forget that. And so what I'm saying to you right now is what I want to share with you is very, very serious to me. And there might be a few funny things here and there along the way, but this is ultra, ultra serious to me what I'm getting ready to share with you. I'm, what I'm going to do now is going to be extremely practical. It's practical. It's made up of a lot of study of books that are both Christian and secular, and it's primarily made up of what the Bible has to say, particularly in the Song of Solomon, about practical things we can do to divorce-proof our marriage. And I want to stop and pray. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning as we consider your, your word as we consider how we can divorce-proof our marriages, the practical steps that we can take, open our hearts and help us to respond to what your word says. In Christ's name, amen. Here is the first fill-in-the-blank. Married couples, I want you to sing a new song. I want you to sing a new song. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse number 1 says, Solomon's Song of Songs. When you see there that it says song of songs, it means this is the best song ever. I want you to think of the best, most romantic, most sensual mood music that you could ever think of on the planet that could be played. And what this is saying here is this is better, far better than any other music that you could ever have heard before. All right? You could compare that to any music that you hear, but This song, if you will, and you don't have to sing it out, what you could do is you could just read the song out loud. The Bible tells us if you read the Song of Solomon, it's only eight chapters long. If you read the Song of Solomon 
Alright? The Bible says it does not return void. That the Bible is living and it's active and it's powerful. So what I want to encourage you... That's good. Thank you for the mood music. What... What I, want, what I want to encourage you do, to do, there's only eight chapters. Married people, okay, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to get the Bible tonight before you go to bed. I want you to open to Song of Solomon and read it out loud to each other the first chapter. And every night this week, read a chapter. That means next Sunday, you'll reach the eighth chapter. You'll read that out. You'll read the whole thing through. And the Bible says that it does not return void. There will be a reaction. Okay, put it to the test. Let's see, God says this is the greatest, most romantic, most sensual love song ever written, the Song of Solomon. It's in the Bible. Let's see what happens. Will you put, I'm asking you, will you put God to the test on the greatest song of all time and see what happens? So I want, I want you to do that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there are some common complaints when it comes uh, to marriage. And I want to read some of you from the uh, gray book that are here. All right, complaints from her. She says... He leaves, he leaves things all around the house, and I'm tired of cleaning up after him. He says, there's always something that I haven't done. She says, we both go to work. When we get home, why doesn't he pitch in and help more? And he says, she always finds something to complain about. She says, I can't believe he forgets everything. I can't depend on him for anything that matters to me. And he says, I can't believe she remembers all my mistakes and continues to bring them up. She says, when he does talk, he goes on and on and is not interested in what I have to say. I wish he would give me less advice and help more. He says, I help out around the house, but she still is exhausted. What I do is never acknowledged or appreciated. She says, he becomes so moody and irritated. I don't know what to do to help. He just shuts me out of his life. And then he says, I never know when she's going to erupt with a list of complaints. I feel like I walk on eggshells around her. She says, he doesn't even notice how I look anymore. Is it too much to expect an occasional compliment? He says, she makes, me, she makes such a big deal out of things. Why does she have to get so emotional? She says, I can't talk about how I feel and what I think we should do without uh, him feeling as if I'm trying to control him and telling him what to do. He says, she either complains that I work too hard or that we don't have enough money. There is no way that I can win. She says, we never have time for romance anymore. He is either working, watching TV, gone, or sleeping. He says, when I'm in the mood, she's either too tired or overwhelmed with too many other things to do. Last one. The only time he touches me is when he wants sex. He says, I feel like I have to jump through hoops to have sex with her. Okay, these are some of the common complaints that we see uh, that people have in marriage. There are some solutions. What Gray talks about and what I have noticed in, in my own talking to married couples is couples are under tremendous amount of stress, particularly in Washington, D.C. And that stress, I have said this for years, stress is the great separator. It's the great separator between our relationship with God and our relationship between a husband and wife. It is the great, great separator. You have to figure out how you can handle the stress that we are all under in marriage, and you have to figure out how to do it effectively. There are solutions to this, and I want to challenge, first of all, husbands today to do four things. So, wife, if you're sitting next to the husband and you happen just to look over here in a second and you see there's not a pen in his hand, you might want to find one in your purse, 
place it into his hand, and watch him to see if he actually writes these things down, okay? There are things that we can do. I'm going to give you four practical things a husband can do. Tim Keller says in his book, he quotes this statistic, two-thirds of them, two-thirds, everybody, of unhappy marriages can become happy if people will hang in there and work on it for the next five years. Two-thirds of the marriages today that are in this room that are unhappy, if you'll hang in there and you'll do these practical things for the next five years, and I believe you could probably shorten that time, I don't think it'd take you five years, you could become happy in your marriage. Husbands, here's the first thing. Describe her. Describe her. One of the major stresses that Gray talks about in his book that exists in married couples today is the woman says, I'm unseen. I am unnoticed. And it's causing tremendous stress. When a wife feels that she's unseen by her husband, that he doesn't notice, doesn't see her, okay? Tremendous stress. And when you involve that stress, then the separation comes into play. So this week, husband, I want you to either write a note or send a text, write a letter or a card or an email. I want you to do one of those things at least, and I want you to describe her. I want you to see her. I want you to notice. Look what we see happening here in the Song of Solomon, chapter number 4, verses 1 through 7. He writes to her, he says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Now watch what he does. Ready? Your eyes. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Now listen, you don't have to say this kind of stuff, all right? You understand? <clears throat> okay. But notice all the parts that he picks out here. It's like descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, so she's got her full set of teeth. All right, your, your lips, your lips are a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil, the halves of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David. You've got a big, strong neck. Built with courses of stone. On it hang thousands of shields. All the shields are worth. Your, your breast... Your breasts are like two fawns. They're leaping breasts. Two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I'll go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. He is describing her. He is seeing her. A wife feels. Husband, get this in your mind. If she is unnoticed, there's a monster, and the monster is called stress. Okay, we no longer have knights running around with swords and slaying dragons. So here's the dragon that you need to slay from your wife. And you need, you, you, you need to take this as a challenge, you know, and say, you know what, there's no way. This guy here is writing this, taking this challenge. There's no way that my wife is going to be defeated and tormented by the stress of thinking that she's not noticed. And I hope every husband takes it this exact same way, okay? There's no way that my wife is going to walk around being burdened down by this stress monster because she's not being noticed. So I want you to notice her. I want you to describe her. He talks about her eyes, hair, teeth, lips, mouth, temples, neck, breast. If you didn't catch this, he's working his way down her body until finally he says, you're all together beautiful. And I want you to rescue your wives this week. Describe her. Number two, I want you to hear her. Hear. Hear her. Hear her heart. Hear what she's saying. This is what it says in Song of Solomon. She's speaking. She says, all night long on my bed, I look for the one my heart loves. I look for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. Let's stop right there. She's having a nightmare. She's having a nightmare of the fear. The fear of what? The fear of being alone. I have news for you. A lot of women struggle with that fear. 
Okay? She's struggling with that fear. Did he hear her? How will he respond to her? Look what it says. Verse number six says, she says, who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke? What does this guy do? What does this husband do after he has heard his wife's fears? He's coming like the cavalry. There's a cloud of smoke behind his horse because he's coming as quickly as he can. Do you do that for your wife? When's the last time you said, hey, can you tell me about your fears? Can you tell me about what you're afraid of? There's a whole list in this Mars-Venus book, Why They Collide. I want to just read it to you. Say this to your wife. What makes you feel frustrated, angry, or annoyed? When's the last time you asked your wife that question? What makes you feel disappointed, sad, or hurt? What makes you feel afraid, worried, or scared? What makes you feel sorry, embarrassed, or ashamed? I had a guy say to me this past week, he said, John, you know, you, you recommended this book to me. He said, I got to tell you, those, these questions I just read to you, he said, ha, 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 made all the difference in the world in my marriage. My marriage was in bad shape. I started asking these questions, changed everything. How often have you asked your wife those questions? You, you need to be a great questioner. You need to ask those questions, husband, a couple of times a month and then listen. I have noticed a bad trend, and it's the same trend that Gray talks about in his book. I started picking up on this about seven or eight years ago when I was talking to married couples. Here's the trend. Men are talking too much. What has happened to men? We're not supposed to talk that much. And all about seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, I noticed, what is happening in this counseling session? The guy is talking more than the woman. This is wrong. You say, well, I'm just a big talker. Well, then change. Okay? She needs, Gray says this, okay? He'll back me up. The wife needs to talk more than the husband. You need to be a great question. What are you sad about? What are you annoyed about? What are you embarrassed? And then listen. Ask great questions and then learn to be a great listener. There's your second thing. Here's your third thing. Oh, let me just say this. You want to Google, right? Write this down, husband. Daily temperature reading. Use this three or four times a week. Takes you 10 minutes to do it. Daily temperature reading. Google it. It's a five-step thing. You go, it's perfect for a guy. It's a five-step thing you go through. Takes you less than 10 minutes to have a conversation with your wife. You're going to feel great. She's going to feel great. You're going to learn a bunch of stuff. Very, very helpful. Third thing that I need you to do, husband. I need you to support her. This is what he says, the husband says in chapter 2, verse number 15. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in full bloom. All right? You have to catch the little things that are gnawing away at the marriage relationship. Those look, you, husband, have to institute. You can't, she, she's coming. I read you all these complaints, right, from the wives. Oh, I got to do this, and then he never would. Okay, you as a husband need to institute this. You need to bring it up. And you say, how can I help you? My wife, Krista, says some of the most romantic words I've ever said to her, and I say to her on a regular basis, I come home and say, how can I help you? How can I help you? You know what Grace says in his book? He says, husband, listen to this. He says, Every time you ask the question, even if you don't do anything, but you just ask the question, how can I help you? You get a point. So look, I'm all about getting points. I can tell you that right now. All about getting, I'm a big point maker. So if I know that all I have to do is ask the question, get a point, I'm asking the question. That's why I ask the question almost every single night. Now, sometimes I'm fully intend not to help at all, but I'm asking the question. (laughs) 
how, how can I help you? What are the foxes? The foxes are the little things, the little tiny foxes, everybody. It's the little things that gnaw us away in Washington, D.C. that we're so busy with that are eating away at our marriages. The dishes, the laundry, the trash, the bills, the decisions. I can't tell how many wives have said to me, I have to make all the decisions. He doesn't help me with any decisions. That's a fox that's gnawing away at the marriage. You need to ask, how can I help you? And then every now and then jump in and actually do something about it. How can I help you with these things? She needs to feel supported. When she's not supported, she feels stressed, and it's eating away at the marriage. Fourth and final thing that the husband needs to do is this. You need to value her. Value her. Look what it is. I gave you two different verses here. He says in chapter 6, verse number 9, he says, My dove, my perfect one, is unique. He's saying, I value you. You mean a lot to me. You're unique to me. You're special to me. He goes on and says, she says, actually, she says this in chapter one, verse number two, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is more delightful than wine. What do we kiss, everybody? What kind of things do we kiss in this world? We kiss things that are very valuable to us. Those of us who have kids, we, we kiss our kids. We give them gentle kisses. We kiss things that are highly valued. I want to show you a couple pictures on the screen. of some things that we kiss, we value. What is he kissing there? Huh? Super Bowl trophy. What? Give us another one. Is there any other? Okay. All right. One final one. There you go. There you go. Kissing the trophy. Why? What's it? Because valuable. So valuable that they're going to kiss it. They're willing to put their well-being on the line to try to earn that on a violent football field. They're willing to sweat at whatever. Kiss. Kissing is very important. We kiss things that are valuable to us. I'm going to tell you right now, there's not enough kissing that is going on in marriage. So here's what I want you to do, husband. Ready? Husband, I want you to kiss your wife at least three times every day. Three times every day. I want you to kiss when you guys leave each other in the morning, you go your separate ways. I want you to kiss each other when you come back at the end of the day. And I want you to kiss before you go to bed. This is very important. If you want to start right now, you can try it. You can try it out right now if you want. Only if you're sitting next to your wife, okay? You give a kiss. I'm, I'm very serious about this. Very, I'm very, very serious. You think this is something small, this is something very important. Kissing is really important. The Song of Solomon, the most romantic, powerful book you know, on romance that had ever been written, starts with a kiss. It starts with a kiss. You need to kiss three times every day. I want to get emails back this week. People saying, you know what, man, kissing has gone out of control. We're kissing 10 times a day. I want to get some of that because that is going to divorce-proof your marriage. It is very, very important that you kiss. All right. Those are the four things. Those are the four things for the uh, husband to do to the wife. Now, wives, we also need you to step up to the challenge, and I'm going to give you four things that you need to do. The first thing, uh, you know, it's going to anger you. It's going to upset you. Uh, it's going to be very hard for you to do, so just go ahead and brace yourself, all right? Write this one down. We want you, want you, want you to pamper yourself, okay? I want you to pamper yourself. This is extraordinarily important that you pamper yourself. Rest, relax, get your hair done, get a manicure, get a pedicure, get a massage, take a nap, exercise, take care of yourself. Why? Why? Because when a husband looks at his wife and she's taking, she's taking care of herself and she's rested and relaxed and all that, so what, does all that, you know what he does? He takes credit for all of it. <laughs> this is, you know, my wife, she's rested. She's, and it's all because of me, okay? Now, you might, you might be offended by this. It has absolutely nothing to do with him. 
Okay, look, there's things we don't understand about you either, okay? So this is just the way it works. The husband takes credit. He's like, he feels successful. He feels like he's doing a great job as a husband. He feels more positive about the relationship because you've done all that. But listen, I need to tell you, you're not doing all that for yourself. You're doing all that for him. There's a difference. You're doing all that for him. You're pampering yourself and you're doing it for him. And he's going to feel much better about the relationship because of it. Number two. Wives, you need to plan his rest, his rest. All right, here's the scene. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse number 12 says, While the king, the husband, was at the table, my perfume spread its fragrance. The scene is this. He's at his table. Tables then were couches. He's lounging on a couch. He's lounging. He's resting. He's come home for the day. The idea is he's probably feeding him grapes. He's resting. The deal is, okay, if you didn't, haven't picked up on this in um, your marriage already, Um, women have more energy than men. You just do. It is a fact. You have more energy. He comes home. When a man comes home from work, he's thinking, man, my work is done. The stress level goes down. Energy level goes down. He's ready just to, you know, just rest, lie on the couch, watch TV, lay out all that. When a woman comes home at the end of the day, her stress level is like spiking. It's just going straight up. Energy is going up. She's she's uptight. She's nervous. She's working, working, working. And you got those two things are like colliding. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that you can do this all the time. Obviously, I'm asking you to use some wisdom here, but I'm asking you, use your own common sense that every now and then you plan his rest and you let him rest. One of my fondest memories of my wife and I was I remember it was very early in our relationship and I was watching TV and she's like, how can I help you? And she's like, I remember she was like, Putting pizza on my every time the pizza ended my plates, like she took great joy and saying, "Here, you just sit here and do nothing." And she was feeding me food. That was wonderful. I can remember it happening one time. And uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, let him. Re- I want here. Here's what I want you to do, wife. I want you to plan his rest. I want you to let him know some night coming this week or soon. Okay. I want you to say, hey, when you come home tonight, I've got a night planned for you. I'm going to take care of you tonight. All right, you're gonna rest. Just let them know it's gone. I need, can you do that? I hope you can. Okay. Third thing, I want you to plan his success. You heard all these things I read, these very practical things out of this book. I didn't read them all. There was tons of stuff that Gray put in there from actual people over and over again. The husband says, I feel unsuccessful. I feel like a failure. Like I go out in the work world and I have success there, but I come home and I can't do anything right. I can't do anything right. Everything I do is wrong. There's a complaint about all this stuff. You need to plan for his success. So she says this in chapter 1, verse 13. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breast. So this is perfume, very expensive perfume. She says, I feel like that. I feel lovely. I feel beautiful. I feel valuable. And I feel that way because of him. He is successful. He is so successful. He is so good. She's praising him so much, heaping compliments all throughout this song, these eight chapters, so much. And she's saying all of his success is spilling over to me. So she's lifting him up. She's saying my husband is a success. A major stressor for a husband is he feels he can't do anything right. It's a major downer for the relationship. He feels like he can't do anything right. You need to praise him and compliment him and lift him him up. Wife, okay? Your wife in this room this morning, when's the last time you complimented your husband? When's the last time you looked in his eyes and seriously complimented your husband? It's the last time you talked about 
you know, what kind of person he is or what you appreciate about him or how, how you're praising him. You talked about his character. You talked about his wisdom. You talked about his talents. You talked about his looks. When was the last time you did that? You need to do that. Too often he feels like a failure, and you need to compliment him on this. One of the things that my wife Krista is really great at, she's fabulous at this, it complimenting and, and, and lifting up. Now, I'll just give you one story. I could give you a million stories, but I'll give you one story on this. Uh, Krista loves to go out and make memories, and one of the ways she likes to do is I like, go strawberry picking and uh, whatever. So we... Uh, <laughs> And come home, and we, all, we always pick way too many strawberries, like a lot of strawberries. Like, why do we pick all these strawberries? So we pick all these strawberries, come home, and then she wants to, she wants to make jelly or jam or whatever and turn them into strawberry jelly. And I don't know if you know this. I had no idea this. There's, there's like 3,452 steps to making strawberry jam. And it's like a bomb goes off in your kitchen. And so there's all this equipment we have to get, and there's mess everywhere. I'm like... You know, I have a really bad attitude at this point. I'm like, gosh, can't we just go to the store and buy the schmuckers or something? Why do we have to do this? And so she puts on this major thing. She gets all these jars. So like, we're talking like, you know, 60, 70, 80 jars of jam that we're making here. And so I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle that. So I'm like, hey, I can't be involved with this. I've done my strawberry picking, so I'm done. So one of the days we're doing, we're doing this. She says, okay, we're having a cookout afterwards, and I, I need you to make hamburgers. I need you to make like 15 hamburgers. So that's a big deal, 15 hamburgers. And so I had to, I had to grill them. And so she starts on the process that she's doing with all those 3,000 steps to it. And she says, you know, just, just grill the 15 hamburgers. So I go outside, and I come back in, and here I am. I've done one thing. I've put the ham... I didn't, she already made the patties for me. All I had to do was put them on the grill. So I put them on the grill, and I had to flip them, and I put them back on the plate, and I bring them in, and now she's done all these 3,000 steps. She's destroyed the kitchen, and now the kitchen's been totally put back together, and it's completely clean. And I walk in with my plate of hamburgers, and, you know, after all the work she's done, and she says, oh, John, you did... But she's... She's serious. She calls you, thank you for making you excellent hamburgers. You know what I'm saying? I, I know the disparity is incredible. What I'm telling you is, is your husband needs to hear that. I mean, tell him something. I love the way you take the trash out. That's awesome. I, you, you, you kind of strutted down the driveway with a swagger. Whatever. Give him something. I'm, I'm very serious. Give him something. Pray, praise him for all of that. Okay, we're, uh, we're almost done. All right, I have one last thing that I just want to say, okay? Plan his passion. All right, plan his passion. Uh, pampering yourself, very important, at least worth a point to you, okay, ladies? Planning his rest and success, very important. You get at least a point for all of that stuff. All right, with all that being said, this last point, you get 10 points, okay, for this one. Just one, you know, let me read two different things for you. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, like and Apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with ra- these are aphrodisiacs. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I'm faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. I am not going to tell you what verse number six means. You can figure that one out for yourself. Chapter 7, she's saying this. Look what she says. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. She's like, prepare to rendezvous. Let's go do something new. Let's do something creative. Let's go out to the countryside. And, uh, you know, um, let us go 
early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom, then I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance at and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. I'm going to give you my love. Your husband's, ready? Your husband's confidence, his attitude, his openness and his ability to connect with you is all wrapped up in this passion piece. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, don't deprive the boy. He's very straightforward. Don't deprive him. So I'm asking you, wife, to plan, to pursue, to surprise, to be creative, okay, around this issue. This is very, very important. Uh, it's very extraordinarily seldom in 25-some years of preaching that I ever have a man come to me in tears over any issue that I've ever... Extraordinarily rare. I do not have time to go into all the intricacies, biblically speaking, about how important this point is. But I can tell you in the past when I have, I have husbands come to me, seriously, not joking around, and they're in tears, and they just shake my hand and say, thank you so much for this. Because this issue about passion and about sexuality with a husband is huge. cannot be overstated is very very important plan his passion wives i want you to know that your husband is being assaulted every single day of his life he's being assaulted if your husband came home and he had a black eye he had a bloody lip i'm asking you would you do anything about that would you do anything about your husband being punched in the face every single day of his life would you have pity on him you know, 1 John 3 says that we can't even say we have the love of God in our hearts if we don't have pity for somebody who's hurting. Do you have any pity on him? A very difficult thing. He's being assaulted. We're, we, got, we didn't make ourselves this way. We are visual people. And the problem is today is it's everywhere around us. I'm going to close by saying this. We went this past week to buy a costume for a costume party. Went to a family store where they sell costumes, costumes for a party, okay? And so we're there walking around the store, and not 10% of the store, not 20% of the store, not 50% of the store. It had to be like 80% of the store. Every costume came in a bag that was like this, and in front of every bag was a poster about this big, like this. It was, it was like going, you know to a strip bar. It was unbelievable. Every costume, whether it was Wonder Woman or Batgirl or nurse or whatever, high heels, short skirt with everything hanging out all over the place. That for a guy is, is being, you can't begin to understand. It's like he's being assaulted through his eyes constantly. It's like a shot to the face. I couldn't, I didn't know where to look. I, I felt guilty just being in the store. I'm there with Krista. I felt guilty just being, but it's like, Bam! All over the place. Very difficult. And it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better. It's everywhere we look. I'm asking you to think about what your husband is going through, okay? And take pity on him and everything you can do to help him relieve that pressure that he's feeling constantly, you should do it. This is what... 
the Apostle Paul is saying in a city that's filled with all kinds of visual sexual immorality, this is what he's saying there. Okay. Review. Husbands, describe her, hear her, support her, and value her. Okay? I want to hear about a lot of kissing. Wives, pamper yourself for him. Plan his rest, success, and his passion. Our prayer team is on this wall. These are difficult issues we're talking about. They're on this wall. We're having a Q&A right there, and we're having Grace in Five right there. Let's pray, and we'll go. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Your word is very practical today, very, very practical. There are, there are those of us in this room, God, that right now or in our past, we've experienced some very difficult things in marriage. We're asking for your healing hand. We're asking for your hope and your help. We're asking for your strength. Be with us, Lord. We really, really need you. In Christ's holy name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for coming today. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.